1: Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Cramerica. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to make you some money. My job's not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Oil and airlines, they don't mix. Jet fuel is the number one cost for the airlines. So they shouldn't be able to rally at the same time, unless it's their stocks we are talking about. They are interacting in ways I did not think possible they're going up in tandem. How positive is that? Every night now I keep highlighting the bizarrely bullish ways that stocks are trading. And sometimes they're totally in your face. Like this simultaneous move in the price of oil and the airline stocks, which I have never seen, never seen in almost 40 years in this business. It's the type of thing that can really get the market's animal spirits roaring as it did once again today, with the Dow gaining 206 points, the S&P climbing 0.70%, and the NASDAQ falling 0.81%. How's the pleasure. So let's take a closer look at this oddity, this amazing lucrative set of circumstances, because I want you in. I want you, yes, not excited, because that's not rigorous. I want you to understand how rare things are that are happening right now. The airline stocks surged today because of a terrific set of numbers Out of Delta, many people thought Delta was doing poorly. And that sent the stock surging up nearly 5%. Why not? The airline stocks have gone from being the most expensive names in the market because of their endless losses to being the cheapest group in the market, maybe save the autos, simply because investors can't believe they'll be able to meet the earnings estimates given that they always seem to be in price wars. Oh, but that's not what Delta told you today. They directly debunked the notion that fare cutting has come back and said they'll hold the line on willy-nilly fleet expansion, which has historically caused the price wars. Hence why flying, though, frankly, is so miserable. Every every flight's always extremely full. You ever notice that? Uh, You pay through the nose for any amenities, and even first-class feels like steerage on an old ocean liner. When you combine the 4.5% higher fares per each sheet flown, that's the key metric that Delta reported this morning, with all of the full flights they have, you get a company that spews cash. <laughs> Given its profitable growth, the stock is way too cheap, trading in a mini-school nine times next year's earnings. I think all of the major airlines' stocks can go higher because this story is about price discipline, and the industry seems to have it under control. Okay, bad for you as a passenger. Great for you as a shareholder. Now, the pin action from the amazing Delta quarter was so strong that the stocks of United Continental and American also saw their stocks rally nearly 5%. I can only imagine how many price target bumps this group is going to get starting tomorrow. What's the one thing that most airlines don't have under control, though? The price of oil. Which is a huge variable that has often stung these companies. In fact, they've been hobbled by fuel costs so much that, regularly, the, in the hedge fund handbook—or at least the theoretical one—it says short sell, the sell, airlines sell, 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 sell. whenever oil inches up a couple of centavos. Yet here's oil rallying, rallying strong this time, bursting through the $64 level before giving up some gains later in the day. And what happens? It doesn't seem to matter one whit to the airlines. They keep going higher anyway. Ah. But the oil stocks, how about them? They are as hot as a pistol! You know, when I renamed Bug, our rescue puggle, after Chevron not that long ago, you could tell he was both envious and tortured by the fact that his much less clever doppelganger, formerly Everest, got renamed Nvidia. I don't blame him. Either Nvidia is so dumb that he now answers to Nvidia rather than Everest or he caught NVIDIA CEO Jensen Wong's Bafo keynote at CES last Sunday night about autonomous vehicles and is proud to be named after his company. Either way, NVIDIA now runs around all over the place, and when you call his name, he will go right to you, provided you have a stake bone in your hand when you call him. Well, guess what? Chevron, jealous no more of NVIDIA. Chevron stock has been screaming higher. It's up nearly four points today on a recommendation that cited its powerful cash flow of many new projects. Now, get this. Think about this arithmetically, all right? Who would have thought that an oil stock would have so much game? Only in this incredible, amazing, unbelievable stock market could an oil stock be less than 2% off its all-time high, even as oil's down about 40 bucks from where it was when Chevron last reached these lofty levels. You know, in fact, the whole oil complex is going nuts. You know what I'm thinking? Going by the, maybe going by the rescue place, getting another dog and renaming her Slumberjay Is that oil stock simply has now scored 10 unanswered points. That's in spite of the widespread expectation that the numbers are way too high. Who knows what this stock would do if Schlumberger actually managed to make the estimates, let alone beat them. This oil rally's even got real dogs like Apache, Anadarko, and Pioneer going. Wow, you got a whole kennel running loose here. I know I'm showing my age, but honestly, Who let those dogs out? (laughs) What can the airlines do if they want to cut fuel costs? Well, it's simple. You buy new planes from Boeing with a gear turbofan made by United Technologies. It makes a lot less noise and burns a lot less fuel. No wonder both those stocks won't quit. Yet somehow, somehow, I got to tell you, I still don't think enough people realize how amazing the stock of Boeing is up another $7 and change today. All right, maybe this anecdote will help. So I'm walking to the car today from uh, 14 Wall, right? I went by the really good downtown Manhattan Capitol Grill, owned by the fantastic Darden. And those, two, and, and I see two guys. I see two guys out there smoking, no doubt seeking their own premature deaths. And they start chanting, hey, Kramer, how about Bitcoin? How about Bitcoin? How about Bitcoin? How about Bitcoin? When are you going to recommend Bitcoin? How about Bitcoin? It was like a jingle, a mantra, and a prayer for the cryptoids all rolled up into one. I would have none of it. I gave them the Heisman. And I said, no Bitcoin, Boeing! Well, I might as well have said, put down those Marlboros and let's go have some of my wife's quinoa. Their contempt was palpable. I'm chalking it up to millennial lunacy. What else has happened here? The worry war short seller complex? I cannot believe they're still around and they're even more powerful than ever. Sell, 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 Well, sell. they've been out in full force of late promoting the microscopic rise in interest rates, saying that anything less than a quarter point jump in the so-called long end could cause a catastrophic downturn in the U.S. economy. Well, then who would get hurt the most? Home builders, especially ones with lots of exposure to states like California, where people just lost a bunch of tax deductions that make buying a home more attractive. So the bears, they were going nuts yesterday, full force, sharpening their fangs, licking their paws, because KB Holmes was about to report. The darn thing had already more than doubled since we started recommending it, so you can make a case against it on valuation. But the core of the bear thesis here was the fear of supposedly soaring interest rates made worse because the Chinese were supposed to be dumping them. Chinese turned out to be uh, fake news that they were dumping the bonds, they weren't. But next thing you know, KBH blows away estimates, guides up and talks about how the rate rise has meant absolutely nothing to the business because mortgage rates are still incredibly low. The company sees plentiful jobs, bountiful wage increases, a stronger economy, and the new U.S. tax code as spurs to the housing market. And they're predicting even better times ahead. And that's how a stock, which is already up huge over the last few years, could rally another 12% today. I must tell you, people do not understand how good things are. Interest rates aren't, are, are going up aren't enough to hurt the home builders. but I think they're up enough to help the earnings for the bank stocks, which we start getting tomorrow. Sure, their stocks have run too, but the valuations are so low that you have to wonder if something horrible's looming. Well, let's hope there is, because it will give you one more opportunity to buy this fabulous leadership group ahead of the three or four rate hikes I'm expecting this year. More on that topic later. The banks and the homebuilders surging at the same time, that's like mixing oil and water or oil and airlines. You want some irony? I mean, I'll, I'll give you some irony. I'll be right in your face with some irony. Get this. This morning, Barclays, respectable firm, published a report arguing that Netflix is basically the second coming of the Industrial Revolution. I swear, it was like reading that traditional networks are now no more than seamstresses while Netflix has invented the loom. So the stock leaps about five bucks. Yet even the seamstresses are thriving here. Discovery and Viacom were among today's biggest gainers. Maybe it's not so bad to be a seamstress. No Luddites in this tape. Keep buying Discovery. The bottom line, to borrow a line from F. Scott Fitzgerald, the test of a first-rate market is the ability to hold two opposing rallies at the same time. And that's something this wonderful market keeps doing with the plum. I say... Get used to it. Will in Kentucky. Will!
2: Hey, Jim. Booyah. Or well, I guess here in Wildcat country, we might say go big booyah. I like uh, that. I, anyways, I, just, I, just I wanted something. to go ahead and ask you about a stock that you had mentioned a couple weeks ago, uh, the Discovery Channel, uh, DISCA, And uh, uh, you it, it dropped in October, um, and we've seen some rise back up in December. last two days, it's been jumping through the roof. Jim, are we looking at a uh, long hold here? Yes, yes, buy? yes. Okay, the stock
1: was going down, 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 down. 29 days straight down. I saw Dave Zaslav, the CEO, and at dinner. I almost felt bad for him. But I got to tell you something. At 19 bucks, David Faber does a piece. He does an interview with the great John Malone. And we know John Malone's the dean of all TV and media. And John Malone says he thinks discovery is fabulous. That's why you heard me talk about it. 19 bucks. Now it's a 24. David Faber making you money. Again, Molly in Michigan, Molly.
2: Hi, Kramer, booyah.
1: Booyah, Molly.
2: Thanks for taking my call and all the hard work you put in each day. I'm not I'm definitely... working hard
1: enough. I told that to my wife. I got yeah. up at 3.30. She says, what are you getting up so early for? I said, you kidding me? I'm 15 minutes late. Let's go to work.
2: Yeah, I don't think you sleep very much. No, um, I actually but don't definitely... really care for sleep. <laughs> I'm I hear people say, oh, I'm investor. really sleepy.
1: I think, loser. Go ahead. <laughs>
2: I'm a better investor because of you, so Thank thanks. You. And Thank um, you. my question is about Juno Therapeutics. I own this stock, and um, there's been some concern about how the company will position its non-Hodgkin lymphoma therapy. Can it differentiate itself with the other therapies?
1: You know, Juno. I've looked at Juno a number of times, and here's the way I come out. I think it's a terrific spec. Uh, but you gotta understand, it's a spec. It's kind of like what I've been saying to the cryptoids. You gotta understand, you're speculating, you're not investing. How about the way the cryptoids were blasting Warren Buffett as some old coot? Yeah, they they got that figured out. They'd be genius. Another day, another beautiful performance. And they said it couldn't be done. I say get used to it. The beast is in beast mode. On Man Money Tonight, my exclusive with Denny's. Can America's Diner deliver a grand slam? I got the CEO. Then, can you still bank on the banks? I'm offering up the earnings preview you need to be able to watch about what's going to happen tomorrow morning beginning at 6 a.m. and a private company that's banking on cramming more into your carry-on. Good, so the airlines can make more money. I'll reveal the name. Stick with Kramer. Last year, after spending a long time in the wilderness, the restaurant stocks finally started getting some love. Now, some of this had to do with tax reform. The restaurants are big domestic taxpayers, so they'll benefit enormously. But there was another thread here, one that might have been harder to notice, the reinvigoration of the consumer. Take Denny's long one of my favorites, the value-oriented diner chain with more than 1,700 locations. Earlier this week, the company reported stronger-than-expected domestic same-store sales for the fourth quarter, up 2.2%. Now, that may not sound that incredible, but it's a big step up from the less-than-1% increase in the previous quarter. By the way, last year, Denny's raised $2 million for No Kid Hungry. It's a charity devoted to fighting, well, you guessed it, child hunger which is just a terrible, heartbreaking problem for the rich country we are. Now, i got a chance to check in with John Miller, the presidency of Denny's, at the ICR conference in Orlando earlier this week. Take a look. John, I regard you as the CEO of America's Diner. I think Denny's is the ultimate comfort food. Funny, I'm in my 60s, but the millennials agree, don't they?
3: They agree. We have a very strong affection with millennials, they, not just late night, Denny's On Demand to go, uh, breakfast, lunch, dinner, and late night. So we're doing really well. That well
1: let's talk about that. Until I sat down and did more work on Denny's as supposed to just eat the Grand Slam, I thought DOD was the Department of Defense. You've got something that's a lot sexier. Don't Denny's
3: you? On Demand. We've always been this brand, 24-7, open to everybody anytime now, love to feed people. Why not? Make it available online to eliminate the phone call and the hassle, and then why not make it delivered? So that's what we've done.
1: And you've brought back the old model, uh, and you're redoing them. When do you get big lift when
3: when a Denny's looks like the Denny's of old? Yeah, they they got to where it felt like a cafeteria or a lunchroom, and it needed to be a place appropriate for dinner. So we warmed it up a little, divided the spaces. People said they want their old diner back. They got a little cold. So they're much better. Sixty-seven percent of the system is now on the new image, and by the end of 2018, about eighty percent of the system.
1: By late mom, always felt that you were bargain. Now when I see two, four, six, eight, I know you're bargain. Talk about that plan. I think it's smart.
3: yeah, about the one in every five. So about twenty percent of our system customers come in with a little more regularity for a four-dollar menu, yes. six-dollar, eight-dollar, and uh, they are really, really popular. Everyday value slam for four dollars or or pancakes, all-you-can-eat pancakes. And I can make
1: my own slam, can't
3: I? That's right. You create your own.
1: (laughs) But there's limited-time offers. You make it so it's special, too, right? I mean, each month, you got something a little different.
3: We do. There's limited-time offers. But, you know, oddly enough, for to-go, you expected breakfast and pancakes to do well. But burgers and shakes, our shakes are selling like crazy. And create your own. Create your own burger. Create your own omelet. Create your own breakfast. Well, I would tell you, you as a
1: restaurateur, highly unusual. Most people feel that it can't travel, that food. Yours is somewhat, is it packaging? How do you make it?
3: It's the new packaging. Clearly, that was an investment, but a a beneficial investment for the consumer.
1: Now, not only does the consumer do well, but you have been one of the most shareholder-friendly companies I've ever seen. You've crunched a lot of stock. Talk about that buyback. It's probably the most, I think, one of the maybe 10 best buybacks that are of public companies.
3: Well, in October, we were down to about $8 million left in our authorization. So we upped our uh, multiple of sort of a a debt capacity. We we took on a new $400 million facility, and we upped from two to three times uh, multiple range to two and a half, three and a half. So it gave us more share repurchasing capacity, and we added another $200 million authorization. It was a great program.
2: The
1: other thing I find, and Steve Easterbrook from McDonald's told me this, but maybe you can help us. You talked about on your notes, the franchises, the franchisees, the association, they're all excited. What does it mean to have good mojo among the franchisees?
3: Well, look, the franchisees run these businesses. So if, if they feel like they get have somebody to listen to them and care about them making money, uh, it makes for a great partnership.
1: Now, a lot of people feel that uh, there is a propensity of, uh, uh, let me put this, uh, I gotta, it's difficult, but people don't want to, people historically, particularly younger people, they don't want to gain weight because it's a selfie generation. Right. look good, But when I taste your stuff, The authenticity trumps the idea, and it makes them a treat, the idea of this. The milkshakes
3: taste so great, but they're real, aren't they? Yeah, they're real. It's it's high percent butterfat, real ice cream, handmade. That's the real deal. That's why they're so popular, and that's why they sell so well. But also, we believe in sort of a great society runs best when you sort of push responsibility down. Give people choice. Let them make their own decision. You want an indulgent shake on Sunday, we'll sell it to you. But Monday morning, you can have a Fit Slam egg white omelet. Uh, We have all kinds. The popularity of our Fit menu is going through the roof. Yeah, chicken, uh, sausage, turkey, bacon, things that are a little leaner, high-protein sources. And they are really doing well, fresh vegetables, uh, well, a number of those okay, options going that. through the roof at Denny's, yeah. Uh,
1: now, John, one of the things that I'm uniquely focused on is where units are. What I am struck by is you're really just making a push into universities. I mean, shouldn't every university have a Dennis?
3: That's, we love the idea. <laughs> we have 18 now, which is great. We have more than anybody, and that's right. not near enough. But, yeah, we're doing well on college campuses. Um,
1: northeast, underrepresented versus South, Southwest, in Texas. Is. When, is, when is. am I going to see a Denny's at every interchange? It's we crazy. Are,
3: we are uh, half of our system, 800-plus restaurants of our 1,600 domestic stores are in four states. Right. So California, Arizona, Texas, Florida. We are starting to get into the Southeast a little more and finally breaking into New York. Staten yes. Island, Brooklyn, we have a store in each place. We'd like to see a lot more up there for sure.
1: Okay, employees, we're all talking these days when we talk restaurants, hard to get. A lot of hardworking people at restaurants, immigrants, a lot of hardworking people at restaurants trying to be able to make it so that they can have the American dream, maybe even be right. a franchisee one day. Right. Is it tough Tough to find people, particularly on the coast. Uh, where you can still make a profit because it costs a lot of money to
3: hire somebody. It does. The, the, the key is keeping people, uh, making sure they're motivated and properly cared for so that they're highly productive. Right. And then we seem to have no problem. Our turnover is much lower than most brands. We win awards for our people yes. practices, and we're proud of how we take care of our jobs. Well, kids. I'm
1: proud that I've been behind your stock because it's been a fantastic run, and you know that. That's John Miller, president and CEO of Denny's. What a run you've had, and it may be early. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you. Appreciate it. marks the unofficial beginning of earnings season, which always starts with the banks. We hear from J.P. Morgan, Wells Fargo, and PNC Financial all one day, with the rest of them coming next week. And this earnings season will have some extra significance, given that it needs to justify the market's incredible run. I would say that Monday and tomorrow are going to define what may happen, literally, for the next month. It's that important. I think most companies will tell us what we want to hear. But when it comes to the financials, the problem is this quarter is going to look a lot worse than it might really be. It's going to be a lot messier. So tonight I want to sit down and and really get everyone in shape for what happens tomorrow. Prepare you for what is going to occur when the banks report. I'm not trying to predict uh, which banks will do well and which ones won't. I simply want to help separate the signal from the noise so that you'll be in a position to understand what's actually happening as it happens. First, let's address the big themes. In early December, when we realized the tax bill just might actually pass, we started hearing about the banks taking large, and I mean really large, one-time accounting charges in the fourth quarter in order to get out ahead of it. The CFO of Citigroup talked about potentially taking a $20 billion hit from the tax bill at an industry conference, took a breath away, knocked the stock down big. Why? It's an accounting issue. Big companies like the financials have tons of unrecognized losses at any given time. And those losses were much more valuable in 2017, offsetting a 35 percent tax rate than they will be this year when they only offset a 21 percent tax rate. Okay, so if the banks wanted to take full advantage of the tax code and they always try to do it, that's up to them. But they want to. Then that meant taking a bunch of write offs in the fourth quarter before the new lower corporate tax rates kicked in. Put it all together. And that means the earnings for the fourth quarter could look horrendous on the surface. And I have to tell you, I predict that when you see them, people will be doing this the moment that it happens. Sell, 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 sell. I'm trying to steal you from that. Second, and this was much more important, trading volumes are likely to be going down and down big. At that same conference where City CFO talked about the $20 billion hit from the tax bill, he also mentioned that the company would see large year-over-year declines in its trading volumes. It's likely could to be in the high teens, that declines, and that's pretty suboptimal. But you have to understand that the banks are coming up against some very difficult comparisons here. When last year they had the extreme volatility because of the surprise election, Donald J. Trump. Third, last quarter, J.P. Morgan and City both told us that they set aside more money for credit card losses which sparks some concern about consumer credit quality in general. Now, I'm actually not too concerned about this. Why? Because given their strength of retail over the holidays, my sense is the consumer's feeling pretty darn flush. But it's certainly something to watch for, and you know the bears aren't going to run with it. Now, those those are big issues, but what about the smaller niggling ones that could actually hurt individual companies? In other words, how do we evaluate the banks as they report? As always, the net interest margin, or NIM, is the single most important key metric for the banks. Remember, the net interest margin measures the difference between the meager amount that they pay you for your deposits and the huge amount they try to charge you for loans. It's still the primary way that banks make their money. Given that we got three rate hikes last year and in the last quarter, uh, the net interest margins were pretty impressive. There's some real reason for optimism here, and I think it could prevail. That said, people have been fretting about the flat yield curve. The fact that long term rates are so low, even as the short term rates continue to rise because of the Fed, and that could put a damper on things. I'm looking for some negative chatter about that. Remember, a lot of people want stocks to go lower. It's just the way it is. If net interest margins continue to rise, Bank of America benefits the most of all the majors. That's why you see that stock goes to 30 because it's such a massive deposit base, $1.3 trillion as of the last time they reported. But the biggest beneficiaries actually will turn out to be the regional banks because they're typically much closer to being pure plays on actual lending. And they're not doing a lot of trading or they're not doing a lot of M&A. Second most important metric, loan growth. Not only is this a big deal for the banks, it's also a major tell for the overall economy, which is why I said at the beginning how important these these stocks are going to be for the overall market. We want to hear that things are as robust as the stock market indicates. Nothing would make me happier than to see some bullish loan growth numbers. It's good for the banks, and it's a fabulous sign that businesses are feeling more confident about their prospects going forward and are thus more willing to borrow. But I must tell you, Loan growth tailed off as the year end. You're going to hear that. It's going to freak you out. Steal your heart. We're also going to hear a lot about dividends and buybacks, and I think this is going to be good. It's the thing I'm most excited about. The combination of a much lower tax rate and a looser regulatory environment means the banks could substantially increase their capital return plans for you. Shareholders listen up. Remember last year, the Fed cleared all of the big capital, uh, banks' capital return plans, emboldening them to get even more aggressive. And that's before Trump had even appointed his own Fed chief. I think Janet Yellen has done a remarkable job. She's being replaced by Jerome Powell, or J Powell as we all call him. He's a former private equity executive and a real good guy, by the way, personally. And I think it'll be a lot easier on the banks. They are sitting on boatloads of cash. So let's see how much they can increase their buybacks or signal large dividend boosts without risking the ire of the Fed. I think the Fed actually encouraged them. They got too much capital on their balance sheets. Of course, the most valuable information we'll get comes from listening to the bank's conference calls and actually hearing what their CEOs have to tell us, of which most people won't bother. They'll be trading first. Why do you think I'm going through this? I don't want you to do that. The truth is that the tax bill still isn't well understood, and we simply don't know all the ways it could impact the economy. So please, I'm begging you not to react too quickly to the headline numbers. They've almost always been wrong when it comes to trading the banks. The devil's in the details, and the law is so darn new, we don't really understand the impact. Here's the bottom line. When the banks start reporting tomorrow, please don't be thrown off by all the one-time charges from the fourth quarter. They will be humongous. But do listen to everything they have to say about net interest margins, about loan growth, and their plans to send money back to you. The banks are the key leadership group in this market. And after our recent run, I don't think stocks can handle any real bank bad news. But I'm banking on the idea that we won't get much anyway. How about going to Don in Massachusetts? Don. Hi, Jim. How are you doing
2: today? I am doing real well. How about you? I'm doing great, too. Uh, Now, Jim, when we go to get a loan from a bank, we usually have to experience the hassle of dealing with bank managers and outrageous rates. Now, this is all about the change. This firm realizes the age-old way of loaning and lending money doesn't have to remain in the hands of big banking. Uh... Right now, there are over 2 million customers borrowing from over 180,000 investors. Uh, it won't take long for people to realize that peer-to-peer lending is the future of financial transactions.
1: Okay. Okay.
2: Enter Lending Club Corporation, symbol LC, which provides a better, more efficient, cheaper, and easier way to borrow and lend money. And uh, millennials are especially going to like this. Yeah, but, Don,
1: remember, we care about how a company does, and they are very spotty and inconsistent, and, man, am I ever being a diplomat. Do you know that Goldman Sachs has a business called Marcus, does the same thing? Why don't I own the stock of Goldman Sachs and take advantage of the same thing without what I regard as being the uh, suboptimal way that that company manages its business? Let's go to Josh in Texas.
2: Josh. Hi, Mr. Kramer. Thank you for taking my call. Of course, Josh. What's up? What's up? New to investing, looking at NYCB, New York Community Bank Corp.
1: Yeah, it's okay, man. You know what? We like quality when it comes to banks. We like stocks like J.P. Morgan. We're not going to go down the food chain just because it looks like something's cheap. J.P. Morgan is cheap. Why? Because five years from now, it could be dramatically higher. All right. Major banks report tomorrow. And what I'm trying to do is give you a little flavor of how confusing it'll be so you won't do the wrong thing. The quarter's going to be messy. But now you know what to focus on. I hope you won't be confused. Much more mad money ahead, including my exclusive with the startup, rethinking the way you travel. I'll tell you the name just ahead. I bet some of millennials know it out there. Then, is it time to reconsider retail? I'll reveal something bigger is happening in the space than you know. And all your calls, rapid fire, tonight's edition, me round. Stick with Kramer. Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with
2: Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE.
3: I saw a guy vaping on the subway yesterday. You did not. I swear to is God. That on the queue? On I the platform. The Some guy's sitting there and all this Denver. smoke is coming out. Well, that's not true. You're I like can't see him, him for t- 20 yeah, seconds. I'm like, what? what are you doing? You're doing what Kramer said I do.
2: It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern.
1: a lot about how the web has transformed retail. But in some ways, I think we're earlier in this transformation than most of us think. Why do I say that? Well, on Tuesday at this unbelievable ICR conference, I got a chance to hear from a company called Away, A-W-A-Y. It's a luggage startup company that's making travel a better experience. Now, that may not sound all that exciting, but Away is turning this industry on its head using a direct-to-consumer business model that allows them to dramatically undercut the competition. This company's just entering its second full year of operation, yet they've already sold 200,000 suitcases through their website and their four retail locations, New York, L.A., San Francisco, and Austin. What's driving this young, terrific story? We spoke to Steph Corey. She's the co-founder and CEO of Away earlier this week. I want you to look at Steph, why did you decide to start Away?
0: So it really all started with a personal experience. My uh, business partner, Jen, was traveling. Her suitcase fell apart in the airport. She asked all of her friends for a recommendation, and uh, everyone said, don't get what I have. There's nothing that I could recommend to you. So she gave me a call, and um, we started to really talk through like travel and the travel experience and why no brands that exist today were really speaking to that. And one thing led to another, and a way was born.
1: So in other words, what you think is that the other companies wanted to make luggage. You wanted to do something experiential that included luggage.
0: So you're hitting the nail on the head right there. Um, When we when we looked at like the incumbent luggage companies, it was a lot of like, how do we make a feature list and then that we can market like it's all about the feature list and (laughs) and the marketing and the bullets on the materials. And what we said is, how do people travel today? And how is that? changing and how is that different and how can we build products that support that experience and make the end-to-end more seamless
1: well it's very clear that Millennials travel they travel differently from my generation they want different things out of get this word suitcase what do you give them
0: so there's a number of things that are unique about our product but um, like one of the first things we learned when we asked people when they were traveling we were like do you travel uh, more for work or for pleasure and ONE OF THE BEST THINGS WAS THE ANSWER IS ALWAYS FOR BOTH. BECAUSE IF YOU'RE GOING SOMEWHERE, YOU'RE INCORPORATING EVERYTHING. SO PART OF WHAT WE DID IS WE MADE SOMETHING SUPER LIGHT. Um, YOU CAN FIT MORE, LIKE WE DESIGNED IT IN A WAY WHERE YOU CAN FIT MORE INSIDE THAN ANYTHING ELSE. IT'S ALWAYS, um, IT'S THE MAXIMUM SIZE THAT YOU CAN CARRY ON WITH YOU FOR THE CARRY-ON. THE CARRY-ON CHARGES YOUR PHONE. so. If you're sitting at the gate answering emails at your layover, no more dead cell phone, and no more sitting on the floor uh, looking for an outlet. No,
1: I never sit. With, I always sit on <laughs> my bag. It's like you know, and then people snap a picture and they think I'm desperate, but that's <laughs> what you do. So, uh, millennial pick. Now, anytime millennial, we always perk up because that's how you make money. But an interesting anecdote that happened, right, in terms of what yeah. something you had that was a hot cake.
0: Yeah, we modeled it off for your shirt that you're wearing right now, actually. Um, so <laughs> you're in bad. Millennial Pink. Nice, nice count. Um, yeah, we, we made a Millennial Pink suitcase, and we only made a few thousand of them, um, and they sold out in, I don't know, a tenth the time that we thought they were going to. And all of a sudden, we saw ourselves a few weeks later with a wait list of... 10,000, 20,000 people emailing in, tweeting at us, being like, What can I do to get the pink one? What can I do to get the pink one? So they wanted it so badly, um, we brought back the millennial pink suitcase, and now everyone's happy. All
1: right, Steph, people are watching you right now. And there's a lot of millennials who watch the show, and they're thinking, oh, I want to have a business. They have something they believe in, and they want to do a business. How did you even think that you could? I mean, you saw what, 200,000 pieces? More than that? A little bit more than that, Okay, yeah. well,
0: how, why
1: did you even think it, 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 the dream could come true? Uh,
0: that's a great question. I actually, I didn't start with, I want to start a business. Um, I started with my friend not being able to find a suitcase that right. met her travel right. needs. And um, I told her I would help her look into why, that, why her needs couldn't be met. Okay. Um, and we started doing some consumer research, and we started doing some market research, and one thing led to another, and we were like, Oh my gosh we could create something that would make travel better for all these people but
1: how are people hearing about it what strategies are you using what kind of guerrilla warfare are you waging against (laughs) big companies that are pretty much incumbents
0: yeah so um the number one way our customers find out about us is a recommendation from a friend okay um so we find that if we can create Um, A SPECIAL EXPERIENCE, LIKE OUR WEB EXPERIENCE, OUR PURCHASING EXPERIENCE, OUR IN-STORE EXPERIENCE, OUR PRODUCT EXPERIENCE, HOW YOU TRAVEL, IF WE CAN CREATE SOMETHING THAT LEAVES A LASTING IMPRESSION WITH PEOPLE, THAT'S SO RARE THESE DAYS THAT THEY'LL TELL EVERYONE THEY KNOW ABOUT IT. SO um, REALLY, LIKE, STORYTELLING in THE BRAND AND REALLY INSPIRING PEOPLE TO TRAVEL MORE AND GET OUT THERE IS, LIKE, A CORE PART OF HOW WE GET OUR BRAND um, AWARENESS.
1: SOCIAL PRINT, WHAT DO YOU USE?
0: Um, There's a lot of social media. Um, Instagram is the second biggest way people find out about us after from a friend. (laughs) All right. Um, See, it's
1: amazing. No, Instagram, again, this is, remember, people watching at home, they're saying, I can Instagram, I can get it done. I mean, what do you do? What's the trick of Instagram for your, for a way? What are you doing?
0: Well, I'll ask you a question first. So um, when you scroll through your Instagram feed or when you're thinking about what to Instagram yourself, IT'S TYPICALLY NOT SOMEONE, LIKE, SITTING AT THEIR DESK, BEING no, LIKE, OH, no. HERE'S ME EATING A That's SANDWICH. BAD BRANDING. YEAH, BAD BRANDING. EVERYONE'S INSTAGRAMMING WHEN THEY'RE TRAVELING AND WHEN THEY'RE SEEING THE WORLD. SO WHAT WE'VE REALLY DONE IS, LIKE, LIKE, HIGHLY ENCOURAGE um, OUR CUSTOMERS THAT, LIKE, WHEN YOU'RE TRAVELING AND DOING COOL THINGS, LIKE, SHARE IT. LIKE, INSPIRE, inspire YOUR NETWORKS. And share what you're doing so now when people are traveling they're going somewhere new they're instagramming themselves with their luggage and that's how people are finding that's out about the it. kind
1: of word of mouth that really works So well, i yeah. think you've got an inventive business plan i love the fact that you believe and then create a business as opposed to hey i'll create a business what should i do yeah so that's terrific you believe that's what people should do that's what success is about and that is steph corey she's the co-founder and ceo of away and we want her to win stay with craig It is time! It's over the lightning round! And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Skid? Daddy, it's over the lightning round! I want to start with Mike in Florida. Mike!
2: Who we are from Orlando, Jim? No,
1: I was just there. Uh, Love it. What's up?
2: Florida Core stock, nine years of double digit comps, 1,000 basis points better this quarter than last year this quarter. What's your thoughts?
1: I say you buy, 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 because both floor and decor are red hot, and it gives you both. Let's go to John in New York. John! Booyah, Jim. How are you? I am good. How about Hello, your partner? you, partner? Good. Thank you. Thank you
2: and your staff for all your great advice. I've been doing very uh, well.
1: You're kind. Thank you.
2: I thank you. Okay. Regeneron. Sell or hold? No.
1: Regeneron is a buy, and a lot of ah, people are giving up buy. on their stock. It's got so much in the uh, irons in the fire. That's crazy. Joe in New York. Joe!
2: Hey, a big booyah from Syracuse, New York.
1: Love Syracuse. You're one of my territories when I was a salesperson at Goldman. How can I help?
2: Hey, my question's on LPL. I bought it in 2017 and not quite sure what to do with it now.
1: I think they used to swap out of it. Known O-L-E-D even up here because that's ah. stuff is so bad against. this crazy. in in California. And. Greetings, Jim. Greetings. My question
0: is on
2: Hi, my question is on Zag, Z A G. You know
1: we used to we used to zig when it was Zag, but then we met met with them, sat down with him. We liked the story very much. I'm sticking by it. I need to go to Tyler, also in Florida. Tyler.
2: Hey, how's it going?
1: Oh man, great. How about you?
2: Good. Uh, my question was about Chegg. I
1: picked it up mid-November, and it's been on the way up. But we uh, like I'm the, the stock so at three now. bucks. We're not backing away. Dan Rosenzweig, friend of Zach Ertz. Yes, number 86 for the Eagles is doing a terrific job. We say, come on back, you. Ah, nice play." Yeah. What is that? A quad- It's a quintuple. Let's go to Steve in Pennsylvania. Steve!
2: Hey, Jim. My grandson Harrison is looking forward to seeing you at
1: the link on Saturday. Well, man, I'm going to get there real early, so he ought to come early, too. No tailgate, by the way, because we're responsible. What's up?
2: I'll tell him also like to say hello to my granddaughter, Bella. Jim, oil's starting to move and uh, I already own Slumberjay, but what do you think of buying some Core Labs in here? I
1: like Core Labs, but no need to go there. If you own Slumberjay. stick with that horse and buy more. If it goes back to 72, Joel in Pennsylvania. Joel.
2: Hi, Jim. How are you? I'm
1: good there. How about you? <laughs> Not too bad. I'd like to ask you about Cedar Fair, symbol F-U-N. You know what? I like them. I like their. Good- ah, I like how, the- how they're very streamlined. And most of all, I like the 5% yield. Let's go to Tom in New York. Tom.
2: Hey Kramer.
1: Hey. And
2: hey! Booyah! Wow. What's your take on First Solar? Oh, you, huh?
1: oh, first solar's up. It was up 10% today. Uh we liked it, you know, we did a piece about why the stock's really ramping, and I gotta tell you it's gonna continue to ramp. Probably goes to 80. Let's go to uh Nick in the host in New Jersey. Nick! yeah,
2: booyah, Jimbo! Booyah. Jim, I saw Howard Lutnick on CNBC the other day, and he made it seem like a no-brainer with so much earnings growth ahead. Should I buy Newmark and at what I price? I did a very
1: close examination of that, and I think it's not a no-brainer. I think it's fine, but remember, they do own a lot of stock. Uh, you can sell it eventually, and I think that it's good, but not amazing. But it's steady. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is conclusion of the lightning
2: round. The lightning round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
1: We're being way too cavalier about the return of retail, including mall-based retail. What it really means. We just can't believe that any of these companies can really escape the clutches of the Death Star Amazon. But let's be honest, if the plain vanilla Coles, a reliable old strip mall department store, can put up 5% plus same store sales growth for the first time since 2001, isn't something bigger going on? If mall-based children's place can deliver a stunning 8.5% increase in holiday same store sales, can we really write that off as a fluke? When Target and Nordstrom guide up for the holidays and start to show genuine earnings power, can't we step back and say, wait a second, something big's changed here. I spent a day talking to top executives from many major retailers this week at the fabulous ICR conference in Orlando, and I can tell you that something major is afoot. What did we learn there? First, the consumer is much, much stronger than anyone at any of these companies could have imagined even a few short, not years, but months ago. We know that the consumer's been shopping aggressively at Costco, Home Depot, and Lowe's. But until this week, we didn't really believe we'd get strong numbers from anything other than the dollar stores and the discount chains like Burlington, Ross, Ollie's, and Walmart, the latter of which is choosing to reward workers with some nice-sized bonuses courtesy of the new tax law, although they did ax some workers by closing a bunch of Sam's Clubs today, a move that instantly sent the stock of competitor Costco screaming higher. And for this week, it's clear that we're getting terrific results from all kinds of retailers. The numbers are so big that you have to think there's been a serious pickup in shopping, not just back to where we were in 2014, but in many cases to where we were in the early to mid 2000s. Does that mean we should just go out and buy the stocks at Children's Place and Kohl's and Target and many others right here, right now? I've huddled together with the ActionLordsPlus.com club research team. And we think that after this run, including almost 10 straight points in Target, it might be a bit of a mistake to jump on all of them immediately. We think you have to wait for an ETF-related pullback. Because the RTH, the key ETF, is in control. And it seems to be able to manipulate any of these stocks up or down. Given that the RTH has been roaring lately, I think you'll end up overpaying if you don't wait for a little bit of a downturn. But in truth... Retail executives feel that job creation, stability, coupled with some genuine economic booms, often related to cheap energy in the southeast, are all combining to create a much more positive backdrop. Second, many of these execs talk about how household formation is back on the upswing, with millennials finally having children, spending money on them, moving out of their folks' house. Maybe student loan debt and health care costs are less of a worry than we thought. Third, many retailers have finally been able to cobble together online strategies that the consumer actually likes. While they may have to partner with Amazon Web Services, they're also using the correct customer relationship software to maintain and enhance loyalty. They have much better control of their inventory, and they finally figured out the positives of bricks and mortar, like buy online, pick up at the store, BOPUS. Fourth, the survivors are getting the spoils. There have already been so many failures in retail that the remaining winners have taken a lot of market share, and they're now making a killing because business is picking up again. Fifth, the valuations may be very wrong for some of these companies. Given how strong the numbers are for Nordstrom, I have to tell you, it's, it almost seems ridiculous that they aren't going private, considering they were contemplating doing—excuse <coughs> me—doing just that when the company was in worse shape. It failed last time. But now that things are better, I think the talk's going to get restarted. I feel the same way about the stock of Macy's. I don't think people understand the magnitude of optionality that Macy's has if they get it right. And CEO Jeff Gannett is getting it very right. The fact that Macy's has cleaned up its balance sheet allows the company to do a lot more with a lot less. Plus, let's not forget that the flagship store had been wiped out by that strong dollar. That's over! The dollar's weak. I say now that retail's in the dry spell and that happens in January, it's the Doldrums. no holidays, you need to buy this group The next time we get any kind of weakness here, the retailers aren't fully apart anymore. For the first time in years, they're not just tradable, they're actually investable. Stick with Kramer. Every night I come out here and I just keep trying to explain how unusual, unusually fabulous for the bulls this market is. The oil and water story, I mean, they are mixing in this thing. There isn't anything that I find that relates to the old market, even just a couple years ago. Airlines never go up with the oils. That's just incredible. Leave it at that. i like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise i would find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow.